Welcome to the Center for Grassland Studies podcast series. I'm your host, Margo McKendry, Program Coordinator for the Center. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Dr. Francesca Petruffo, Professor in the Department of Soil and Crop Sciences at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. Our topic is soil organic matter. Thank you for taking time to chat with me today. With your experience in soil organic matter dynamics, could you provide a brief overview of why soil organic matter is so important? Sure, and thank you for having me here today. Soil organic matter, despite it makes only a small portion of the mass of soil, if you take a hand of uh, some soil in your hand, soil organic matter can be as little as 1% of the mass all the way in, in, in agricultural soil, sometimes to 10% or so, but typically it's not that much of the soil, but is actually what provides soil with its health. Soil organic matter is the food of all the organisms that live in the soil, is what by recycling provide the nutrients that plant take up to grow. Also, soil organic matter helps to provide the structures that allow for water to infiltrate and be retained in soils. And most importantly, soil organic matter holds a lot of the carbon that soils store, and therefore it's very important for mitigating climate change because if we increase organic matter in soil, we can store more carbon off of the atmosphere and into the soil. Now, particularly in grassland soils, what are the primary sources of soil organic matter? Yes, so in every terrestrial ecosystem that is not managed, the source of organic matter comes from the plant. They take up carbon from photosynthesis and put it into the soil as they shed their leaves and have and the leaves decompose and the carbon enter from the leaf litter into the soil and of course from the roots and the root exudate and the turnover of the root material. We now know that roots actually contribute the majority of the carbon into the soil, the majority of the soil organic matter, in particularly adapt. Grasslands, uh, that is even more true because the grasses typically have a high root proportion with respect to above ground biomass. So the majority of the organic matter in grassland is provided by root. Once carbon is in the soil, keeping it in the soil is important. What are the drivers of formation and persistence of soil organic matter? Yeah, that's actually a big question and the core of my research. You said it right. It's important to keep carbon in the soil but actually, it's also important that the organic matter turns over because by doing that, provide the energy to the biodiversity that live in the soil and provide the energy and provide the nutrients to the plants. So we want to reach two objectives. Um, have organic matter turned over to promote soil health and fertility 
but also soil organic matter to build up to improve a soil structure and allow water infiltration and to sequester carbon to mitigate climate change. And so how do we do this multiplicity of objectives? Um, we need to really understand the different components of organic matter and how do they form and turn over. And as I said, that's a big part of my research. So uh, I'm studying uh, soils with uh, soil organic matter, looking at the component of organic matter that associate to chemical bonding to minerals or to physical occlusion in small, uh, very fine aggregates. That organic matter is typically more protected from decomposition and therefore can persist for longer time. And one of the things I'll be talking in the seminar is all the mechanisms that determine that formation and that persistence. But then there is also some component of organic matter, which we call the particulate organic matter, that may not be associated, to, are not associated to the minerals or may not be occluded in aggregates and they turn over more quickly and therefore uh, have different function to the soil. So we want to have more organic matter, but we don't necessarily want all of it to stay forever. We also want the organic matter to turn over to support soil health. How do global environmental changes and disturbances affect soil organic matter? That's the question of our time, right? Uh, and that's another one that we uh, study a lot in my lab. I'll be talking at the seminar. And, um, and we are addressing it again, thinking that not all soil organic matter is made equal because we believe that global change and management affect component of organic matter in different ways. And so if we look at organic matter as one thing, we might miss how global changes is going to affect it. So in my lab, again, we separate the soil organic matter into a fraction that is fine and heavy, and that heavy because it's associated to certain size clay minerals. That association provides higher protection to the organic matter that makes it less vulnerable to change. And so we expect that fraction to respond less to warming, for example, or to disturbances. On the other end, the portion of organic matter which is not protected and, for example, stays in the soil because the microbes are not active enough to decompose it, if we warm the system, the um, microbes become more active and they can have more energy to decompose it. And so by separating the organic matter into its most important component pools, we can then investigate specific responses to specific changes of those component pools. So it's not a one and only answer. We, we have enough knowledge to now start having meaningful hypotheses on how we expect each of these components to respond. And we have done some meta-analysis to look at the global change effect on those individual components. And that's, again, is something I'll be talking in the seminar. Thank you. What soil management practices are particularly effective in regenerating healthy soils and mitigating climate changes? Uh, going back to what we said at the very beginning, 
to regenerate soil organic matter, you need inputs. So you need to start thinking at management practices, then increase plant input, possibly diversify it so that you have a broader and more diverse biota in the soil that can make use of these different components. In particularly, what you want is to have both legumes and plants that can put the nitrogen in the system, as well as plants that have uh, maybe deeper rooting system and can put more carbon at depth and, uh, and so forth. So you want a productive and diverse plant community. So we have uh, that live all, all the year on soil. So you don't want to have a large bare fallows of times. You want the soils to be always covered. Uh, the other thing is, of course, you want to limit disturbance and therefore heavy tillage um, and everything that can uh, break those aggregate structure that protect the organic matter too fast over turnover. So you want more input, less disturbance, more input adapts, so live roots. And you want to keep the microbes being fed throughout the year. If you think about natural system, uh, you don't have times in which there is no vegetation in the soil. Instead, if you think about our agricultural system, in particular here in Colorado, for example, we do the wheat fallow, that for 18 months, the microbes are starving in that soil that hasn't seen any input. And then when we grew our crop, often we take away most of the biomass and so there isn't that much that return. So regenerative ag has to start from the inputs, has to limit the disturbance and has to provide a balanced uh, nutrient and carbon input so that the microbe can efficiently transform the carbon that we have and provide and, and form that stabilized organic material means. What are the output activities and programs that appear to have the greatest potential to mitigate the current human impacts on the earth systems? Well, I'm not sure I know that answer. I can tell you the one we do. For sure, you know, we need to adopt those practices at scale. And so I can imagine that for sure bringing the farmers on board is the most important thing. Um, and so all the outreach activity that can make, first of all, us learn from farmer what their needs are and what their problems are so that we can work together because a management practice that makes sense from a biophysical point of view, if it doesn't make sense economically or is not socially acceptable, it won't go anywhere. So we need to work with farmer and it's not just an outreach in the sense that they can go on a farm and tell them what to do. I first need to listen from them, what their needs are, what their problems are, and then uh, establish that communication. So that's the first and most important things. But I also believe in, uh, you know, in, in the education of everybody to understand, first of all, the world we live in and what's happening and what we need to do to make it a better place. And so I find a lot of pleasure in going to schools 
uh, all the way, you know, from elementary, I've developed the soil ecology activities in elementary middle school. Tomorrow I'm going to talk at the high school agriculture class about soils and agriculture and global change. Um, so the more we can communicate uh, with the broad public and, and make them understanding of the gravity of the situation, or how we need all ends on deck, and everybody in their little, uh, you know, in our loan or for the, our food choices or uh, each one of us can play a role. And so I think it's very important to make that understood. And the other is, you know, we take a lot of pride in having a nature paper or a science paper, but then there are a lot of communication tools. And, and so I also try to write um, a piece in the conversation if I have an important uh, point to be made that can be more accessible to the broader public. So there are many different ways in which we can reach the broader public, and for sure we need to adopt all of that. And also talk to our, you know, sometimes in our classes, we stay just to the academic content. And it's important to also bring more discussion with our, with our undergraduate students and, uh, and talk about all, um, all this issue and make them realize that they can be part of the solution as well. That's really interesting that the communication and, and listening is such an important part of this whole piece. So... Sure, and also the transdisciplinarity that's become very, uh, very clear that now, you know, the humans are part of the problem, but can also be part of, they have to be part of the solution. And so as biophysics scientists, we cannot imagine to suggest solutions that don't include the, the human acceptance and, uh, and, and so working together with sociologists and economists and psychologists, we need to understand how to not only communicate, but also how to, to have the people on board, you know, how can uh, everybody feel like there is something they can do. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic before we get ready to close out this episode? Thanks. I feel like you, you know, it's been a great conversation with you and I really look forward to the seminar. Now, Dr. Cortufo is the distinguished Lou lecturer for the Center's Fall Seminar Series, and she will be giving an October 11 presentation entitled Advancing Understanding of Soil Organic Matter to Address 21st Century Wicked Challenges. To learn more about the Fall Seminar Series or how you may participate, go to grassland.unl.edu. Thank you for listening.